Three years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our second baby to an undetected external infection, and what followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. No one told me that because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that's, that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Getz, a fertility and life mindset coach, founder of Day One, a first-of-its-kind fertility support network, and host of the Day One podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents-to-be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation, and bring education to the forefront. My hope is that by listening, you learn how to still be you and go through the infertility trenches and feel part of the day one community so your journey doesn't feel so lonely. When I think about help, I don't see that as like a negative thing. Help mm. is help, right? If you were if you were sick and you needed help or you needed a transplant or you needed somebody else to help you function, you wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't think about it. But somehow in this department, um, I guess when it comes to reprodu reproductive medicine, we think that this help is different, but it's the same thing, you know? And I think that is what it is. It's about the stories we tell ourselves, the things we tell ourselves um, to normalize it. And the more we have these conversations, and I think the more we realize it's okay, um, that's when we start, we're able to maybe be a little bit more open-minded and accepting of all the various ways that you can build a family. First Response has played a major role in my fertility journey over the past seven years as I work to grow my family. When I see a result using First Response, I know that I can trust it, which is imperative in this journey. So you can imagine how excited I am that First Response is sponsoring this episode. First Response is a brand that is there for us no matter what our fertility journey looks like, from preceding, testing with 99% accuracy and prenatal multivitamins, I can say with confidence that First Response is a trusted partner every step of the way. Hello everyone, we're into day three of Fertility Awareness Week and I am very excited for this episode with Pooja, but before we get into it, I wanted to let you know that I am hosting a free masterclass next Thursday, May 4th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and it is all about learning to live within the unknown. This has been a huge question that I get into my DMs all the time. It's this idea that we can't control our future. There's so much in this journey we can't control and it makes our day-to-day -day extremely difficult. And I have to say that I do feel that I have learned some unbelievable tools on how you can kind of combat the unknown. And when we are taught how to actually integrate, this is an integration. We need to figure out like how do we live our day to day and go through this journey without it overwhelming us. 
a big piece of that is understanding how we are going to live without having all of the control, without having our questions answered. And I'm going to teach you all of my favorite tools. So you can sign up. There is a link in my Instagram, a link in this description. I really hope to see you there. This is sort of um, my love letter to this journey by sharing all of these tips and tools with you all. So please sign up. It's free Thursday, May 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay, enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast. I feel like everyone who is going to listen to this is like, wait, she's on the other side of the mic today. <laughs> I know it feels weird on this side. I feel like I want to ask you questions. And I'm going to have to stop myself from doing that. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, coming on to the podcast to share your story. I know you've been public about it before, but it's so nice to have this time with you and dive into it sort of fertility patient to fertility patient. Yeah. And I think we don't do enough of it. And this is a great place to normalize these conversations. It's interesting to me that I remember being in a waiting room and seeing all these women uh, waiting, men, men too, and, and thinking to myself, why aren't we all talking to one another? We're all just sitting here in silence in our own, you know, um, in our feelings and sadness, and we're all going through the same thing, but nobody's talking to one another about it. And I get it. I know why. And it's just, it's too much. There's a lot going on. You got to get to your appointment, but then you also get, have to get to work and you're doing bloods and ultrasounds. And, but guess what? You still have to do this before you start your work day and, and life gets in the way of those conversations. So this is an amazing platform to be able to do that. Well, before we get started, can you just tell everyone who you are, what you do, and sort of why you decided to come on today to share. So my name is Pooja Honda, and I'm currently the co-host of the Pooja and Gradeep show on 98.1 CHFI. I made the move to radio recently. I've only been at it for about a year and a half. And before that, for almost 20 years, I was on TV, but mostly in news. So I worked at Global. I worked at CP24. I was on a breakfast show there on a breakfast show at Global as well. Um, so that's most of my career and how people, I guess, have gotten to know me over the years. Uh, and I'm talking about it because I've always wanted to talk about it. It was just too hard for a very long time to share. I think when you're going through something that is so personal and has so many lows and it takes you to some very dark places and it makes you think about, you know, what what can the future look like and dreams that you want to come true just may never come true. I think when you're in that space, it's hard and difficult to talk about. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to do something, uh, use my platform in some way to normalize these conversations because they, there shouldn't be a stigma when we talk about infertility because here we are uh, looking at any waiting room anywhere. Obviously, this is something that impacts many, many people, and yet we don't talk about it, and it doesn't make any sense. So that's the reason why I want to share. And, you know, I was lucky that in the end, my journey ended in good news, but I have not forgotten what it was like to not have that good news and to have that feeling of hopelessness. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. I I remember when you shared your news. Like I remember it was a really um empowering moment I think in the, you know, Canadian broadcasting network. Like it felt really like this moment where it was like just like us, you know, it's a, it was a great example of someone who is showing up for work, putting a smile on their face, doing their job, and then behind the scenes going through some of the hardest things in their lives. And for you to come out and share, I think, was a really big turning point I as a Torontonian, but beyond that, it, because um, it was that duality of like, hey, there are a majority of people that are going through this are doing what you had to do every day, just not on TV, which makes it hard. I mean, I we talked about this before we started recording on everything you have to do before you even go to work, but your work was then. Like, I want to kind of start off with um, how you dealt with that. I mean, we I want to get into your story, of course, but I think when I look at you as a powerful woman in news, on radio, on TV, having to already, even if you weren't going through fertility, I'm sure there are days where you were like, how am I going to do this? That added element, how are you balancing that? Well, yeah, I mean, being on TV sort of adds this extra layer of being under a microscope, right? You know, everything you say, if you're grammatically unsound, if you are having a bad day, if you said something, but you meant something else, it can be taken a different way. And suddenly, you know, you're canceled. Um, There's a a whole level of um, a whole layer of pressure uh, to, to, you know, be on point. And I think in many ways, what started to happen for me was work was the best distraction because I couldn't go to work and be sad. I just couldn't. That wasn't what the job was. My job was to inform people about what was happening in their city. And that was important to do. And especially during a pandemic when we got to that point. So it wasn't about me at the end of the day, it was about everyone else and the people we serve. Um, and that's supposed to be the point. However, uh, was it difficult to be on the air, reading the news, and then going on my one hour break to the clinic uh, to give blood and then go and do my ultrasound and then jump back in a car and get back to the station and then get back on air and read another hour of news. And sometimes in those breaks would be when I would find out or check my voicemail oh. that I was not pregnant again. And, you know, when you hear that over and over again, and you get that news, you know, you, when you hear that voicemail, because they they always leave you a voicemail when it's bad news. (laughs) So you get the voicemail and their voice kind of turns and, you know, you know, it's coming. And I had that moment. I don't want to call my husband. I want to, you know, I want to just cry. I want to be in a corner alone, but I got to go on air and, and remember what my job is. So I think what ended up happening eventually was it became the best way of just avoiding any feelings, any thoughts on the matter, turning that part off and just going, okay, it's time to focus on what I need to get done. And I will deal with this later, Um, which I do think probably over time had some consequences in um, how I dealt with the entire thing. And I, I had to eventually go to therapy to help me work through all of that. And I'm so glad I did because it was the best thing I ever did. If you're open to it, I I did want to ask you, you know, how 
did you deal with that? You know, what were, are you open to some of those consequences when you do like, I'd say bypass almost, which I think a lot of listeners, that's our coping strategy is I'm going to bypass how hard this is. I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to figure out what the plan is and I'll kind of deal with my feelings later. What were some of those consequences for you? I think that we like to think that we have some control over the situation, which we absolutely do not. So where we can have control, like I'm going to control my feelings. I'm going to put on a brave face. I'm going to be positive. I'm not supposed to be stressed out because if I'm stressed out, I'll never get pregnant. So, you know, you, you have this dialogue that you tell yourself over and over again. And sometimes what I learned in therapy, uh, you do just have to sit in it. You have to sit in the sadness. You have to feel it. You have to ball your eyes out. You have to do the why me. It's not fair. Uh, you know, the, all of those things. And as, as horrible as it sounds in the moment, because if anybody heard all of the stuff that was coming out of my mouth, I'm sure they would have been like, okay, you know, other people have other things going on in their lives too. And I think that's the point is that everybody struggles with something. This was my thing. And I accepted that it was my thing and it was okay for me to struggle with it. And it was okay for me to be sad about it, angry about it at times too. Um, And often put in situations where I had to say things and do things that I hated saying, but I needed to for my own well-being. So that meant not attending friends' baby showers. Um, It meant sometimes not visiting friends who had kids who were, you know, who I just wanted to play with because I love kids, um, but I'd have to avoid them so that I didn't have to feel that longing, um, which is horrible that you don't hang out with your friends because they have what you have. I mean, it's, it doesn't sound nice, but that's the truth. It's so layered this, this, it's such a layered experience. Um, And I always say it touches every aspect of your life in ways that you don't always expect it to. And it's different for each person. And I like how you said, you know, that was sort of, this is the lot you were given and you had to accept that. And I'm such an advocate of feeling your feelings as someone who was, who was, and still is at times a bypasser is like my, the, how I got through early childhood really. And some of my pain points was to bypass and Something someone told me once, I wonder if, if how you feel about this concept tonight uh, is that, you know, our feelings are energy. And when we push the energy down and we don't let the energy out, then we are becoming that energy. And so that's been really helpful for me about feeling my feelings. Not that this is a coaching session, but I always like to tr- trickle <laughs> a little of it in of just like, it's not just about feeling your feelings. Sometimes it's actually the energy that is able to come out of you. So you can come back to baseline. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. I think every time I sat in it and I just had my little pity party or whatever you want to call it. And I said all the things out loud, whether it was to a wall or to my husband or, you know, to my sister, whoever it was, uh, I felt better. It just, it was this release. And then I could go back to, all right, let's, where do we find that hope again? Where do I find that little nugget? And, you know, often, and I think the pandemic taught all of us this, whether you're going through this struggle or another struggle is that you do find things to be grateful for. And there is gratitude in the littlest of things. And I know that that's not the advice anybody wants to hear when you're in the middle of it, because nobody wants to be like, oh, but you have so much to be grateful for. Yeah, 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 I know. Um, But when you're 
in that place, when you're centered and you've, as you mentioned, you've had that release, then you can start to appreciate all those things. And, and that's what I often did is I, I knew that there were so many things I was blessed with. I was blessed with a great career. I was blessed with an amazing husband. I found the love of my life. Like there are things that are really good in my life, the great family, I'm best friends with my sister. Um, you know, like the list is long of all the things that I know I'm lucky to have. So yes, I would constantly be reminding myself of those blessings, but at the same time, longing to be a mom. Yeah. It's, um, it's like this pillar that we're expected to be able to fill so easily too. And then when you can't fill this like dream that you've had and thought that you could have whenever you wanted to have it, it's that also coming down, I think from that expectation that makes this yearning so visceral, like in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually a really great place to enter in your experience. Cause I say, it's like, I'm saying it cause I know your journey. Maybe not everyone listening does that visceral desire as like to be a, to be a mother, to carry all of these things that you're, you're yearning your it's in your DNA. If this is what you want, and you've had to overcome a lot of that in your experience and and start to see actually i want to be a mom that i would love for you to start us off on when was that moment in your life that you said i'm ready and take us on a bit of your journey from there so i've always known that i've wanted to be a mom i'm one of those people who loves children but i love other people's children like if i went to your house and I played with your kids, I would think about your kids for days afterwards. I'd miss your kids. Yeah. I was, I was just always like from a very young age, whether I was babysitting neighbors, kids, or this was one of my first jobs. I just, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Never thought it was going to be this difficult. Never thought that I would face the challenges I did. Um, and so I think there was a part of me that I was like, no, I'm, I'm meant to be a mom. It's going to happen. Um, that was round one. And, <laughs> and then by round two, I was like, no, no, it's, it's still going to happen. And, you know, we got to seven rounds of IVF and we did IUI. I tried everything that you have heard of. I've probably done it, uh, whether it's acupuncture, Chinese medicine, or, um, you know, the diet or the supplements. Uh, I went to the US to see a doctor to see if them doing things a little different than we do here in Canada would make a difference. I went to another clinic in the US and in Colorado and thought maybe a second opinion was the way to go. And three clinics here in Toronto, like I tried everything you can imagine. I went into early menopause as a way to, I guess, shock the body and then, you know, take me out of menopause, but no guarantee that they would be able to, which was also scary, but take me out of menopause. And then maybe that will restart my body somehow. And I could get pregnant because in all of those rounds and with all of those doctors, nobody could tell me what was wrong. Uh, yes, I was getting older. Yes. Obviously my yield of, you know, eggs was, was getting lower and lower every year, but not to a point where a single doctor told me that it wouldn't happen for us. Like there was, my husband was good. I was good. So I just kept believing 
that it ha- it was going to happen. It just, you know, maybe I had to try this or maybe if I did this. And the truth of the matter is I would have tried anything. I would have walked through a burning building and I would maybe to this day still be trying had my doctor not said to me, this was the last doctor I had, you have to stop. You have to stop. Do you know how long you've been on drugs? Uh, I've been eight years of being on fertility drugs. And just imagine what I was like hormonally, my poor husband. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, just that alone, she's like, you have to think about what you're doing to yourself, to your body. And there are many ways to have a family. Like if you really want to be a mom, think about what that could look like. And that's when I started to have a little bit more conversations with myself and it's different with everyone. And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I think where I started my journey and where I ended my journey is very different. When I started, I had a big wish list of everything I hoped would happen. And by the end of it, I was like, I just want to be a mom. I will adopt. I will look at donor eggs. I will look at surrogacy. I will do whatever I need to do to be a mom because that's really all I want at the end of this. So we did that. We, you know, we started the process in all of those departments. And in the end, we were like, whatever happens first is what we'll do. Cause you know, time is of the essence. And uh, we ended up finding our surrogate through a friend who used the same one. Um, and she was the best thing that ever happened to us, just our, our angel. And she was so wonderful that when we met her, she said, I'm sure you want siblings for this baby. And we were like, yes, but you know, that's just too much to to ask. And like just a dream that probably won't happen. And that's okay. We're just happy with this blessing. And we just want a healthy baby. And, you know, and we want you to be okay and all of that. And she said, well, what if I can make that happen for you? And we were just like, what? And she's like, I have a friend. I've talked to her about you. She's an experienced surrogate and she wants to help you. And so if you have any more embryos that are frozen and you want our help, um, you know, she's happy to, to step in as well, which is just unheard of and made no sense for my life. I just got a brand new job. Uh, we were already pregnant with our first baby and the idea of another baby three months later and me having no idea what I'm doing. It all was just so overwhelming. But in the end, we had to say yes. How could you pass up this gift of a lifetime uh, to amazing humans who just wanted to make this dream come true for me? Uh, I mean, I just, I couldn't say no. So I'm so glad I didn't. (laughs) So here we are after eight years um, with, you know, two babies born via surrogate three months apart and they're called twiblings. (laughs) I'm so emotional because it's like, I don't know if you, if, if the doctor said this to you, I'm I'm making an assumption that they have where it's like, it's so rare that blah, blah, blah. You are like a small percentage of da, 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 da. And at one point, like, I feel every situation I've been in, I'm like the 2%. They're like, we're shocked this happened or 2%, 2%. Finally, I was like, what, when am I going to be the other 2%? Yes. <laughs> you know? And when you tell me this story, I'm like, it, you got your 2% on the other side of your coin. Yeah, I guess I did. You're right. You're right. And like you're, cause 
the problem was, is that eventually I got to the point and, you know, again, it depends on where you are in your journey. I got to the point where those numbers, those percentages didn't mean anything to me anymore. When somebody said, oh, you know, you up your chance of, oh um, yeah, yes. If you, if you do PGS testing or if you, you know, after a while, I was like, I don't even know anymore. I really don't know. I probably gained a PhD just in my journey alone of all the things I learned. But with that, I also felt like by the end of it, I knew nothing. I learned actually nothing more than where I started. And I think that just sort of speaks to, again, how much of this is out of our control. And uh, we all have that internal dialogue where we blame ourselves. We say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? Um, Maybe I wasn't meant to be a mom. You know, you do those things. It's cruel. It's cruel. You do that to yourself that self-talk that is so horrible and so destructive. Um, And at the end of the day, I think by the time I got to the end of my journey, I was just like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. Honestly, I just don't. So if I'm on the other side of the stats, well, I will take the win (laughs) for once. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So I would love to spend just a few minutes with you gushing a little bit about your two. Tell me their names. Tell me that experience. So uh, my daughter's name is Sia and she is 10 months and my son's name's Bodie and he'll be turning seven months in a couple of weeks. So they're three months apart. Um, they are just everything that I hoped motherhood would be and more. Um, I kind of promised myself and maybe you've done this too, where you're, you want that test to come back positive so badly that you promise everything in that moment. You're like, if if we're pregnant this time and whether it was for me or whether it was through, because, you know, you still have do the same thing with the surrogate because it doesn't work on the first try either. Go figure. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you do that. You know, if it happens this time, if it happens this time, I'll never complain. (laughs) (laughs) If it happens this time, I'll, I'll, I'll do the sleepless nights. I'll do anything. You know, you, you say all these things to yourself because you just want it to happen so badly. And I will tell you as hard as it is to, try to raise babies so close in age because everything that the one is going through, you have to start all over again three months later. So, so like the, the no sleep thing never ends, you know, the, the solid foods, which are just like, Oh, when is this going to end? And then you've got to start it all over again. All that stuff. That's really hard. That just comes with, you know, being a mom is hard, but I got to tell you, I never let myself really get to a point where it's complain worthy because it's just, it really is surreal every day that I wake up. And there are times where I still forget. Sometimes I'm like, I'm a mom. I I forget sometimes because it's just, maybe it's because I didn't carry the babies. I don't know, but there is some, some days where I'm just like, how is this my life? I don't know. And I'm so, so happy and blessed. And all those, all the things I thought it would do for me, it did. Now, teenage years, things are probably going to change. <laughs> you know, when uh, Sia slams the door and says, I hate you, mom. I, <laughs> at that point, I might be allowed to complain. <laughs> well, I do think that two things. One is that I think that uh, it's actually something that uh, is a challenge when you've had such a journey like yours to not complain because there are things to complain about. And then there's that other guilty piece of you. That's like, but this is really hard, but I can't complain about it. And I think that's one of the trickiest parts about this journey is you think you're going to get to the other side and you do, and you're holding the babies and all of these things, but 
then you're in postpartum, then you're in that phase of it all. And it's very difficult. And then you, but you can't, you can't, you feel you can't complain. When I hear you talk, I feel there's so much gratitude in your experience as a, as a mom to young babies that it, I don't know if it's that you're saying you're not complaining, but I just feel like you're, you're the glasses you're wearing right now are in so much gratitude that you're see, you see things through the gratitude first. Yes. And I think it's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. And I think, you know, have we not been there where you have the friend who always complains about their children and totally takes for granted that it just came easy to them or, or, um, if you ever got the comment of, oh, you want to, you want a child, you can take mine. You know, people have said things like that. And you're like, oh, I will never be that person, (laughs) you know? And again, they don't mean any harm by it. They don't, they think they're like, they think they're making light of something that's really heavy and they're just trying to be there for you in the only way they know how. Um, We have to get better at that. That's why we're having these conversations to, to stop that from happening. But I get, I understand that that side of things. And so for me, I think there's also this part of me that's just like, no, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be that person. I want, I want to appreciate and celebrate the things that I've been blessed with. And I, you know, of course it's hard and there's nothing wrong with saying it's hard. This is hard. Motherhood is not easy. And it, if anything, it's just given me a whole new respect for my mom friends, (laughs) you know, like, oh, wow, I didn't know how hard it was. I really didn't know. Um, and and like, you know, one of these, I'm not worthy kind of things because it's just, I can't even imagine on top of how difficult it is for me now to then have to worry about postpartum or worry about, you know, if I had a C-section recovering from that and all the things and not having help. Like I have a huge network of help and people are over and in and out of this house all weekend long helping us out. And we're just, we are very lucky that we have the village that we have. And some people don't have that single moms, for instance. So there's a lot to be grateful for. I think that something else that I tell myself as someone who has experienced both. So when we um, conceived Ryder, it was like, literally, I looked at my husband and we had a baby. Like it was so easy. This whole world was not in my radar at all. And the journey we've gone through, the gratitude and the patience that I have for him, I do believe is at a higher level. I just, I, I'm sorry if there are people listening that, you know, have had an easy time. Like, obviously we would all give back our experiences for that, but the life experience to want something so deep, to put yourself through so much pain to go through so much disappointment and then to receive it, you cannot not have a different level of consciousness when you're a mom. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. You just can't. And I think overall, it just makes you a more empathetic, giving, understanding, open-minded person. Yes. I only through this journey, do I think that that for me has opened my eyes to everybody's going through something. You have no idea what it is that, you know, there are different ways of looking at things. Um, you know, most certainly I, I've come across, you know, mommy judgment. I've come across judgment from people in general that, you know, I didn't carry my baby. So I'm not a real mom and, you know, all of those things, or I'm back at work and how badly did you really want them if you went back to work and, you know, 
a question my husband never got asked, by the way, of how long he was off uh, before he went back to work. So again, all these things that sort of add up. And at the end of the day, I think, I think as much as I don't wish this journey upon anyone, I wish it came easy to you. There are also blessings and lessons and learning in this journey as well. I could not agree more. Um, a lot of people that are in the midst depths of their journey, they hear the word surrogacy and they're like, no, they can't even say it. And I, and I'm sure there was a time in your journey too, where third party was like not on your radar. I, I wanted to just talk to you about how did you start to introduce that into your, um, journey? How did you work through accepting? Okay. You know, we've done this for this amount of time and I'm, I'm sort of ready to look to that next step. And did you do any work on having to mourn the fact that the baby wasn't, you weren't carrying your baby? Cause I think that's a roadblock for a lot of people. And I think it's an understandable roadblock. Cause I was there too. And yeah. The idea of, you know, a donor eggs or somebody else carrying my baby or a sperm donor or any of those things, like, forget it. I didn't even, there's nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with me. Why are we even talking about it? Um, but I think as you go through this journey and you ask yourself the question, like, how many more times can I do this? How many more times can we afford, you know, that, you know, I I'm coming from a place where we could afford it. But there are so many people who do not have that luxury. So they have to ask themselves these questions of what are we doing? What's our limit? How far will we go? And you do have to start to think about, I think, you know, when you get as far as I did after seven rounds and you've tried everything and you've had five different doctors look at you, what are we doing? And I think that's where it maybe it just took my doctor telling me to stop that it made me realize I needed to for my, my own health, because what would be the point of continuing if, you know, I ended up getting pregnant, but in the end I was also sick. Like what would, you know, what would be the point of that? Um, didn't want to go down that road. So I had to take my health into consideration. I had to start to think about, you know, there's so many ways a family can be built. Um, and, you know, I just looked to our friend who actually, um, helped us find our surrogate, if you look at the LGBTQ community, for instance, you know, they have to get help in order to start their families. And they do. And they have wonderful, beautiful, full lives. And nobody questions it. Nobody even thinks of it being anything. So why do we have this mental block that we can't get help in creating our families? You know, and I think when I really went through all of it. And like the common denominator of every scenario is I want to be a mom. I, there are plenty of children who need to be adopted, whether it's locally, whether it's internationally, if anybody is built to be that person, it's me. I love other people's children. So I should be able out of anyone to be able to love a child that isn't biologically mine. So why is this thing so important to me? Because that's what everybody does. That's be because I'm worried about what people will think. Do I care more about what people will think or do I care more about being a mom? Um, and I think as I started to have these conversations, and again, it's different for everyone. I don't think this is the right answer for a lot of people and that's okay too. 
Um, but for me, I, I really opened my mind up to what it was that I was longing for, which was to be a mom. Uh, and how could I make that happen? And so we started to open those doors and do the research. So I talked to uh, women who use donor eggs and I asked them about what that was like carrying the baby, having the baby, um, those conversations. I went on forums where children were talking about their own experiences of whether their parents told them or didn't tell them. And just to see like, you know, were the children okay? Were, <laughs> and yeah. of course they were okay. And in many of the cases, their parents had told them right from an age where they could understand. And there's books and there's all these resources out there now of how you can explain things to your, to your children about mommy needed help. And these lovely women helped her. And this is the ultimate story of women helping women that you would want to tell your children that there are good people in this world who out of the goodness of their heart want to help you. This is a good story. So I, I saw that side. Um, and then I saw the side of, you know, surrogacy and talked to people who have gone through that. And they said, none of it matters. You look into the eyes of your child and none of it matters, you know, and they were right for me, at least that's what's happened. It, it It's such a non-issue. And for to think that for so many years, I wouldn't even entertain the idea because I thought it would be now seems ridiculous. I actually wrote down this specific question just to get to the root of it all, which is like, what were your big fears and how did they not come true? I mean, I, I guess I never really, because I'd done the research, I wasn't, mm. I mean, to begin with, my fears were just like fear of the unknown, you know, fear of nobody does that. I'm just going to try to follow the traditional path of how we do this is already untraditional to go the IVF route to begin with, but yeah, anything else is just fear. Um, so there was definitely that. But I think once I did the research and I realized like, I'm not, I don't see myself being the type of person who would feel different because of this. Like, I just, I just knew there's so, I have so much love to give to a child uh, and, a, and a loving home and this village that I talked about of all this love for them, any child at any age, not even a baby at any age would, would come into this home and I would make it the best I could for them, what, whatever was within my power to be able to do for them. So I never really worried about that. And I still don't, I mean, I think the only part I worry about is, um, you know, them not understanding mm. um and what what is the age to explain to them that mommy had two wonderful women help bring you both into this world what what is that age and maybe that's the only real worry is wh when can they handle it I think that um it's so true in our in all of our own personal experiences we all if we need to get to a place where we can start to conceptualize help in that way help outside of ourselves. And it is, you're right, so personal. But I, I, my hope in the work that we do and the people that I have on is also to just um, normalize or destigmatize that type of help. I think the way you were explaining is so great because it's interesting. I feel like the, the IVF route in itself is the, is getting better in terms of normalizing like the medical assistance and getting medical assistance. The third party 
I think is, is actually a place where it's like our next big, like mountain, Mm -hmm. the third party piece of it. Um, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine where I'm like, I feel like our generation kids at 18 are going to be like, I'm IVF. I'm through a surrogate. I'm yeah. donor. Like they're not going to give a shit. You know what I no, mean? Like they're not. Those, that generation is not, it's our generation having to, because now science is available to us, not all of us, obviously from financial, we're all hoping that that does evolve in time, but the science is there, but our generation is just um, I feel like, um, coming to terms with it where our children are going to grow up as being like, why was this a big deal? I mean, that's the hope, you know, like, so it's almost having to get ourselves, our mindset almost so future, future driven, um, where hopefully in 20 years, people can make a decision like surrogacy faster because the science will be there. One, I think that they're going to have obviously innovations that we don't have right now. One of them, which is like, I wish they had, it would be egg quality. Like I wish they could just say your egg quality shit, you're done. (laughs) You know, instead of telling people like there's a golden egg in there somewhere. It only takes one. It only takes one, (laughs) which it does, which as we know the stories, which I also think is also a really tricky part of this journey too. And I don't know if you found this too, where it's like, it's like those magic random stories can happen. So you're mm-hmm. like driving towards that for yourself. Yes. Um, you think that could be me. You could be on yes. the other side of the percentages. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I just feel like I'm so curious in 20 years, how just the third party, the help of the donor or a surrogacy conversation is going to go. Cause I find it to be our next mountain in terms of normalize normalizing, but I do think that it's a generational thing. If Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think, and I think, you know, the world is changing in so many ways with this generation that are teaching our generation so much about our bodies, about, you know, our ideas and norms of beauty of like, you know, the list goes on and on of all the things that they're challenging. They're these disruptors in every space, which I love because I wasn't brave enough growing up to be that person. Um, so all of that is wonderful. Um, and yes, I think that it's also changing the framework, right? It's it's changing the narrative of how you look at it. When I think about help, I don't see that as like a negative thing. Help mm. is help, right? If you were If you were sick and you needed help or you needed a transplant or you needed somebody else to help you function, you wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't think about it. But somehow in this department, um, I guess when it comes to reproductive medicine, we think that this help is different, but it's the same thing, you know, and I think that is what it is. It's about the stories we tell ourselves, the things we tell ourselves um, to normalize it. And the more we have these conversations, and I think the more we realize it's okay, um, that's when we start, we're able to maybe be a little bit more open-minded and accepting of all the various ways that you can build a family. When you're talking in my mind, I'm like part of the, part of the issue or the roadblocks, I think is what we've been told that we're expected to do and our bodies are expected to do from such a young age. And when you're talking, I'm like, that I think is 
is also our responsibility, our generation and the kids that we raise to say, you know, getting pregnant isn't easy or, you know, having babies. These are different ways that you can, there's no expectation, or if you can't do that, it's okay. And I think that there's a grief, so such a heavy grief and why likely you've done eight years to finally get to that place of having to come to a understanding that I can't, my body is, is not doing this and grieving that in itself. And that grief comes from generations of an expectation that you could have. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is when we really look at all that pain and all that heartache over the course of eight years for me and longer for others, shorter for others. I mean, whatever the number might be, grief is grief. Um, that, that hardship, that loneliness, um, that, that deep, deep sorrow is universal for all of us who are going through this. You know, when you look at all of that, and then I sort of balance that with, but I, all I had to do was push the help button, you know, and why didn't I, push it sooner is what is all I think now. I mean, now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, why didn't I just push it sooner? What was I trying to prove? Was I trying to prove it to my family, my friends, myself that, you know, I will do anything. I will even, you know, sacrifice my own health. I will do like, you know, there's cancer risks. There's all these things that, that come into play. And I've joked about the hormonal part, but you know what it's like when you're on the drugs, it is, you know, I look back at that person and I'm like, wow, how was anybody my friend? <laughs> you know, because it's sometimes, it, and I don't mean it that you're, that you're a horrible person. I just mean, there's so many things at play that are going on that you have no control over. Um, and it, and it feeds other things. Like, you know, I would be bloated all the time and never look good in the clothes I would be wearing on TV. And then I would get a comment of, I bet you're pregnant. Oh, congratulations. I'm like, oh, no, that's not what it is. And that's actually very hurtful. So all these say all that to say that, you know, wh- who are we doing this for? What, what is this conversation that we're having with ourselves about? And of course you have to get there in your own time and maybe you never get there. That's also possible too. Um, but I think it's worth opening the door and at least reading about it, hearing stories like mine and then deciding like, you know what? I, I appreciate your story. I appreciate where you're coming from. That's just not for me. And just like adoption is not for everyone. Not everybody can do it. And that's okay. If you can accept that you, you're not that person, there's no shame in that either. Oh my God. Everything you're saying, I'm just, it's hitting me. It's, it's just, um, I think there is this piece of, and we were talking about it before, but this piece of like, well, maybe the next transfer, it'll be it. Maybe the next retrieval, it'll be it. Like maybe if we train, change my protocol just a little bit. Well, what if I, what if we change my protocol a little bit and I could have had X, but now I've moved to Y. Like it is so, I I think also like uh, the innovation and I was saying like the science is there, but it also isn't. So it's like so much stuff still unknown. Um, and so it's this, it, it's, um, it's so, uh, there's so much, I love using this word infertility. Cause I think it's like my favorite, it's one of my favorites, but there's minutia to the fertility. It's very, um, 
it's very hard, no matter how much we want to talk about these conversations, I think it's extremely hard to really communicate every voice that goes on mm-hmm. in the journey. It's, it's very deep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even in the science, as you mentioned, you know, so I'll tell you right now, as somebody who went to the U S and saw a doctor there, uh, we do things very different in Canada than we do in the U S. So in Canada, everything almost always comes back to the burden on the healthcare system, which is completely understandable um, to be able to handle it. So the idea of multiples in this country is kind of shunned upon, right? You know, doctors don't recommend it anymore. There used to be a time, not anymore, because um, they talk about whether you're going to be able to take both babies to full term. Um, Will you be able to have healthy babies? Uh, What that's going to do in terms of, again, the burden on the hospital system, all these things are, and they're not encouraged is the point. In the US, no such thing. (laughs) So I went and I did a round uh, in New York and we ended up with uh, three embryos that made it to day three. And the doctor's like, all right, we're going to put all three in and see what happens. And I was like, all three? What if I have triplets? He's like, you're not going to have triplets. I'm like, what if I have triplets? He's like, you're not going to have triplets. I'm like, but, but, and he's like, we'll, cross that bridge when we come to it. And I was like, but I don't even understand this. Why are you putting in day threes? Shouldn't you wait till day five blast? Because, you know, the likelihood of me miscarrying and, you know, all the stuff, all the research, all the things I thought I knew. And he said, well, you tell me, he's like, do you think your embryos are better off in a lab on day three and making it to day five? Or you think they're better off in your uterus? I think you're a better incubator. So let's just try them there. And I was like, you know, like, did never even thought about it that way. So the only reason why I bring up that example is that if you start doing that, you start going into the science and what if I try this? And what about, you know, none of it worked for me. I try, I tried something different every time and none of it worked for me. I think all that to say is that that's our way of thinking we have some control and that we can somehow figure this out. And I, if I've gone to five doctors who couldn't figure it out, Yeah. Well, we have to also stop and think the the one piece that people forget to talk about in this entire thing is that we are creating life. And I, although we are, that's the, the, all we are talking about it is creating life, but we're kind of not because when you think about that, we we're creating humans there has to be a divine, some form of divine inter something, whatever that is for you. That's part of this equation. That's why people go through, like, that's why people go through all these rounds and it works one round or they stop IVF and then they get pregnant or that's when people are like, I don't know how this happened for me. I'm like, because you can't control how it happened. There's something bigger than us. And I'm, whether you're spiritual or not, it's just, I think that we're doing a disservice when we think that we can control everything. And we say like, but wait a second, we're still creating like human beings on this planet. Yeah. And it really is like when you, now that you've been through the journey, you understand all, how many things have to come together to create life, right? Oh my I God. Mean, children, babies are miracles. They really are. Miracles. <laughs> They're <Okay>. miracles. <laughs> and so I don't sound dramatic, but they really are. And, 
and I think, you know, there's this idea that, well, some of it after a while just becomes like, oh, well, I've got to go through this step and this step and this step. So you forget about the life part, but you also can't blame people for that because it's like what people who are not going through it don't understand is it's not just that you take some injections and then, you know, you get a certain number of embryos and then you put them in and you hope you get pregnant. It's not that it's every single step comes with this major stress point of, oh no, could it all be over? Just if, if this, if this one thing happens, the whole thing's done, right? So it's, it's the stress of every single step. Like, did I administer the drugs? Okay. Are all of my follicles growing at the same rate at the same time? Oh, well, you know what, if they go to retrieve, but then some of them didn't get to where they were supposed to get to, then those were just wasted. And I can't afford to have wasted, you know, eggs because I already only have a small, like every step comes with so much stress. So of course, creating life gets lost in all of that because in the minutia of every step, there's so much and it's, and your heart and your mind and your body can only take so much. I also think it's this idea of like right or wrong. If I, you know, thinking that that the answer is either door A or door B and I have to pick. And if I don't pick door B, door A was the baby. Yes. And yes. and it's not, that's not how it is. That's, we don't know that it's not one or the other. So I, I, I did a post once. Um, it's like probably one of my favorite videos I've done, which is that I posted saying, I'm not pregnant yet, but I can tell you how I got pregnant and oh. how I got pregnant is through every micro decision I made. Interesting. Wow. And when you can say to yourselves, it's not like, oh, I should have picked surrogacy three years before I did. Like that was not possible for that version of you. You got to surrogacy because of every micro decision you had to make to get to that point. And I feel that takes so much pressure off this whole thing where you feel like I coulda, woulda, shoulda, it doesn't work like that. It really does really the decision. You've got to just take each decision as they come and trust in the state in which you are making that decision from. And that's how you get pregnant. And I think that like, this is really easy to say and a lot harder to do because while I, I can say that I, I remember, I remember being in that moment and thinking, oh, if only I had done this, or is it because these weren't PGS tested or is it because, you know, I didn't take my supplements or is, you know, was it because of the DHEA that I stopped taking that was making my heart hair fall out, whatever it might've been, right? Like it just, you do that to yourself because you somehow think you can rationalize or come to some sort of peace with something that is just traumatic and horrible. And I really believe that while we are we are being positive here and we are, we're trying to also focus on the hope of all of this, I think we have to also recognize that this is trauma. Oh my God. This is trauma. I say this is a mental health issue. Yes, absolutely it is. And I actually went on a leave from work when I was working at CP24. And I went on leave for this reason because I was very stressed out and I needed to just relax. And I was hoping to do a round where I didn't have to worry about work, where I didn't have to worry about, you know, public scrutiny and all those things. And, you know, my, my company was fantastic to have supported me in, in, in taking that leave. 
but it, a part of that leave was also getting therapy and making sure I was okay. Cause I needed to really start to deal with what I hadn't been dealing with. And I remember I was talking to the counselor and she was like, okay, well, I just got to fill out the paperwork for you. And she couldn't find the, there's like a, a definition of why you're on a leave. And she couldn't find anything that related to fertility. And I was like, so what nobody's ever needed time off because they went through a miscarriage or nobody's ever needed time. Like I, we tried every which way it's not even in their dialogue to associate mental health with, with going through an IVF journey. Like those things, nobody's thought to put them together. And it's such a big part of the mental health conversation. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yes. I think that the, we are, society is starting to catch up. I do think there are starting to make changes. People are speaking out there. I think we are going to start to see it, but it's actually bananas that it's not even a consideration. I mean, the fact that, that benefits there's not including in benefits. I mean, you and I could spend an entire, another hour, I think on (laughs) this. Um, but ultimately, yes. I mean, we, you need to have a positive spin. We need to be talking about this positive stories and outcomes and all of that. But, um, I don't think either of us are diminishing the extreme hardships that go into the, to not only the disappointments from outcomes, but truly the managing it from the day to day. Yeah. And, and I must, the trauma must, you know, obviously trauma lives, um, on for a long time and you have to continue to, to deal with it, but I must have some sort of PTSD from everything because I think that's why it is still so hard for me to believe. And here we are almost a year later for me to believe that I'm a mom. It's still hard for me. I'm like, I just, I can't believe this is my life. And I think some of that that is that trauma that you talk about. And the positive is, yes, companies are getting better. A lot of companies are including as part of their benefits package now that that includes a round of IVF. We know the government gives you that one round, but it's it's also not a perfect system. And as you said, we can go on and on about it. But I think the more we have these conversations, the more it becomes an obvious thing that employers have to start to step up as well in supporting their employees this way. 100%. And I'm really hoping that we start to see a big shift in that over the next few years. You have been so generous with your shares and just how raw I feel like we we've dug into so many pieces. This has been such a juicy conversation. I want to ask you the question I ask every guest as we close, which is what advice would you give someone starting day one of their fertility journey? Wow. Day one. Oh my gosh. Um, that's a, that's a tough one. Wow. It's because it's hard not to like look through with, through the lens of everything that I've, I've been through. But I think, I think what you have to remember is that everything is out of your control (laughs) and thinking that somehow you can control a situation like this, which is, you know, it's above my pay grade. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to understand all the science and everything that's going on. So I think knowing that is important. I think knowing that it's not your fault and that you are not broken, 
and there's nothing wrong with you, even before you have an outcome, the fact that you had to turn to IVF because it didn't happen easily for you like it did for your friends. I think it's important understanding that getting help uh, on the, from the science perspective and also from the emotional perspective, whatever that might be from your friends and family is also okay. And you should seek it out because this is a lonely journey because most people don't get it. And it is important to try to normalize the conversations, at least with your, your close network and your support system so that they understand how to speak to you about it, how to show up for you and support you in the way that you need them to. So have those conversations. They're uncomfortable. They're difficult, but do it and know that uh, at the end of the day, there's always hope, always. And there are so many things. There are so many blessings in your life that you will always have to fall back on even when it doesn't go your way because ultimately we just have to be grateful and have that attitude of gratitude for all of the wonderful things that we do have in our life, the joy and the little things. Such an amazing conversation. Thank you so, so much for joining us. I am, I just feel you, you have opened me up a little, you've cracked me a little bit in this conversation <laughs> in terms of, you know, my journey and seeing what's possible for us. You're very inspiring in what you do. And I think I say this on behalf of the entire fertility community. Thank you so much for using your platform and for continuing to be an advocate. It's just, um, I think you're, it's a big gift. So thank you. And thank you. I just want to also say that it's so brave what you do. I know it's not easy to talk about and you go above and beyond in this space. And at the end of the day, you're not, you're not shouting from the rooftops, a happy ending. You're saying this is what it is in its rawest form. And here I am, take it for what it is, but you're not alone. And I think what you're doing for all the people who are listening who are also going through their own journey is just, it's, it's incredible. So thank you for not, not letting people feel like they are alone in this journey because we, we have each other to turn to. So you are helping so many women. I wish I could hug you in real life. <laughs> One day. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, friends. Emily here. I want to thank you for being part of this community. The reach day one has had since day one has been incredible. And that is literally because you watch, rate, review, and subscribe. I feel extremely grateful to have the opportunity to interview incredible experts, brave storytellers, and also use this as an opportunity for me to shed light on my own personal journey. This is just the beginning of day one. We have big, big plans to scale, diversify the guest selection, provide unique support offerings, and that is enabled by you. So if you enjoy this show, I have one simple ask of you, and that is to hit the follow button and continue to rate and review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you for bringing more awareness to the fertility experience by listening.